this Christmas, this Christmas season, it's been a really joyful and very memorable time for me. Celebrating Christmas faithfully with the gathered church has filled a void that had otherwise been missing for most of my life. For the past generation or so, celebrating the arrival of our promised king and the kingdom that he promised to bring with him has been deflated by a rather new and broken theology. So many in the church rejoice and sing theologically rich songs that accurately depict the arrival of King Jesus over 2,000 years ago, but either completely ignore the arrival of his kingdom or act like he took it back with him when he ascended to heaven. And, and countless Christians today, and only recently, are awaiting something that is already here. And living inconsistently while lacking much joy in a revelation that is already known. Jesus actually brought his kingdom just like he revealed through the prophets of old that he would do. As we continue in these beginning weeks and months as a new church, we are clearly articulating and heralding what should be a mark of every church across the globe. What is that? That Jesus is truly king. He is king today, and he is taking over this earth. And his kingdom is taking over the world. Today, we're going to be looking at yet another section of the abundance of Scripture that teaches this very truth. Today, we're going to be in Psalm 110. If you have your Bibles with you, or your phones or tablets, flip over to Psalm 110. And let's hear the words of the living God. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. 
The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of His wrath. He will execute judgments among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word and your perseverance in us as king, as Lord, as God, ruler of all creation. We are such weak and broken vessels. Our hearts would desire to do evil all day and all night, even throughout our sleep, Lord. It is by your mercy, your grace, and your love for us that we, we have hope when we hear your words, they bring us life. They stir our hearts to affection. They cause us to lift our eyes and our voices up towards you because you are the life giver. the depravity and darkness that you rescued us from, Lord, you are good. We deserve nothing but destruction. Lord, you are mighty to save. And the only reason that we can justly be redeemed is because of Christ and His sacrifice for us. Lord, guard my lips as I speak Your words. Protect me from error. Lord, You increase as I decrease. Herald Your name amongst the nations. Beginning here, today, this moment as we speak the oracles of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This psalm, this psalm was written by David. It, it is a, a prophetic psalm, but, but not just because it fits a narrative we want to teach. It, it is prophetic in part because it looks beyond the order of Aaron. What is also uniquely prophetic about this psalm is that the priest referenced here in this psalm is also king. 
The uniting of these offices is prophesied in Zechariah chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. It says, And say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. This psalm is an oracle about the exaltation of David's Lord. David's Lord. David knew toward the end of his life that one was coming who was greater than him. One that would have power, dominion, and glory forever. In this psalm, David is hearing a conversation between God the Father and the Messiah, Jesus. That's what we are seeing and hearing here today. Verses 1 and 2 as we look through this psalm. What does the Father say to the Son in this conversation? Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus isn't physically sitting at the right hand of the Father in some heavenly throne room. From a practical standpoint, this is simple to deduce because the Father has no physical form, nor does the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the only person of God to take up physical form in a body of flesh. This clearly, as we begin in this chapter, this clearly symbolizes a position of authority. And it is in the context of the narrative that God has planned from before the foundation of the earth a line of kings and priests, kingdoms and rulers, to culminate in the fulfillment of the Scriptures in a seated king with a kingdom that has no end. So David, David is listening to the Father speaking to Jesus. Sit in this position of authority. And while you are seated and enthroned as the eternal king over your established kingdom, I will expand this kingdom by subjugating all of your enemies. And while the Father is making Christ's enemies his footstool, the Lord Jesus is ruling with a mighty scepter in the midst of his enemies. 
in the midst of his enemies. Now, to ensure that we don't mix up the timing here, as David is looking forward to a future time, a prophetic vision, we can look at passages like Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, where Paul, Paul is looking back. He's looking back. David looking forward prophetically. Paul referencing history. Encouraging the church at Ephesus about the glory of what we have in Christ. Paul told the church that he was praying for them. He was praying for them specifically for them to have the knowledge, for their hearts to be opened to the truth of their inheritance. Their inheritance. I quote, according to the working of this of his great and might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also and the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. My emphasis added there. put all things under his feet, gave him as head over all things. Paul had these prophecies that we're reading today in mind when writing to the church and talking with zeal and fervor, hoping and praying that they saw the present glory and truth of the reign and authority of Jesus over all creation and what that meant for them as His body. What body? I'm glad you asked. Verse 3. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. You see, the people of God, of this reigning king, David's Lord will have his people battle in his kingdom. 
but they aren't drafted. They aren't forced or coerced. Those that belong to this king enlist themselves willfully to arm themselves and fight. And you know what else Paul made clearer to the church at Ephesus in chapter 6? As he makes it clear that this battle, this battle that is being fought and, and won, it's not fought with knives and swords, or today, as we would say, with guns and bombs, grenades. You know, there is a prominent eschatological position adopted by many Christians today that teach that one day in the future we will be part of some cosmic holy war with swords and horses with Jesus charging in the lead. And we're slicing stabbing and chopping up God's enemies. Paul, on the other hand, Paul taught the church that we are presently in a battle and Christ is presently reigning as king. And in this age, in this age, and the age to come. Church, listen. This battle is not against flesh and blood. And it won't be one day in the future either. Verse 4. This reign and kingdom is an oath that the Messiah will be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. We see the author of Hebrews explains the significance of this oath. If you want to look at it, it's chapter 7, verse 19. He explains the significance of the oath is due to the fact that no former priests were made any such oath. And that this oath, this oath that we're reading about in Psalm, makes Jesus the guarantee of a better covenant. That's what's explained in Hebrews. He goes on to explain that these former priests were so many because they all had the same problem. What was it? They kept dying. How can an oath be made to this Messiah that he would remain and hold the priesthood permanently? How? Priests kept dying. 
It's because this priest that was spoken of continues forever with no end. Christ didn't become king and die. He came, died, rose, and was given authority as king to reign forever. Just like was promised in today's psalm. And for any man to claim a priesthood and position that succeeds that of Christ is to deny all the scriptures that proclaim Christ holds that position permanently. We no longer need weak, sinful men to temporarily hold a position until their flesh fails and they die. Our high priest is seated as both priest and king. And no man should dare attempt to sit in his place. Five and six. What will this king and priest do with the authority that is given him? Shatter kings and crush leaders. Where will he do it? I quote over the entire world. Over the entire world. Church, listen. Listen to Jesus in John twelve thirty one. He says, Now, now, is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Again, in John 16, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now, now, I am going to Him who sent me and none of you asks me where are you going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, 
because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Church, as two nations battle over land borders in the Middle East, both denying the Christ and His reign today, both being judged by choosing the darkness rather than the light. Our King, who owns everything, has declared to you, it's yours. Everything. It's yours. And as blind, rebellious people battle over physical goods and territories, try to exercise authoritarian control over their fellow man, and dive into a deeper state of depravity than they woke up this morning being in. Jesus says to you, all that is mine is declared to you. This week, I talked with a Reformed Nepali Christian who encouraged me and prayed for you from Nepal. I've worshipped with believers in the United States, in Mexico, Alaska, yes, I know, it's not its own country, though it seems to be, Ukraine, Russia, Mongolia, and that's just a few places I've been. I've worshipped, exalted King Jesus in these places, in these languages. It's incredible. And when we pray like Jesus taught, the kingdom come and His will be done. I can assure you personally that no earthly king, dictator, or otherworldly ruler, philosophy, demonic force, or the simple stubborn heart and will of man has any ability whatsoever to thwart the ever-expanding reign and rule of Christ. 
the judgment came. Satan is bound. The light of the world is here. And this last verse that we're going to look at today, I gladly close within our passage. An image I want you to see clearly and be greatly encouraged by. Look with me at this last verse. It's easy to miss. Authority, reign, conquered enemies, shattered kings. This isn't something we hope for one day. This is something we hope in today. Christ Jesus has taken claim to everything. To everything. And the Holy Spirit has declared it to you. And this is the imagery left for us in verse 7. As David's Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, drinking from the brook, lifting up his head. Imagine right now, your king, your king, standing along the water, drinking a cold glass from the spring. Tossing the empty cup down with renewed vigor, lifting his head up as exalted and enthroned king. This week, whether nurturing and discipling your children, laboring at your job, pastoring a local church, witnessing to the lost, or engaging in any other sort of labor to advance the kingdom of God, let it be known, you already won because he did. And to the residents of the city of Douglas, its business owners, students, officials, and others, everything here belongs to Christ and his church. And as what Jesus did with a small group of weary, inconsistent followers when he walked this earth, so will he continue to do as he works through this small body of believers to penetrate any and all areas of darkness in this city that belong to him. From men who claim priestly authority to you prosperity preachers out there 
crooked businessmen to the abusive smuggling organizations that target and victimize our youth for your own gain. Teachers of empty philosophies to abusive and derelict fathers. The power and will of the Father through the proclamation of the living Word of the Son and by the convicting and rejuvenating work of the Holy Spirit. Declare this place is it's his. The gospel of Jesus Christ isn't coming to destroy you. It's coming to restore you. To make you new and to give you hope purpose, life, and life abundant. To open the eyes of those He purchased for His glory and our greatest joy. Repent. Repent and kneel before the enthroned King. And receive the glory and joy of being known by Him and becoming heir of all that is His. Amen. Amen.